You are the one we adore. You're the one we long for. And we want to make sure that we don't miss this Christ, our King, our Messiah. Years ago, there was a popular movement called the Promise Keepers. Are you familiar with them? It's kind of a men's group where we would come together and we would have these large conferences and there would be preaching and teaching geared at men that we might indeed be discipled, that we might be the kind of men that God called us to be. Uh, and they had these wonderfully well-known, gifted men of God who would preach. And, and some of these were real personalities and, and really outstanding folks. Well, I went to the conferences. As a matter of fact, several times I was the coordinator of interpreters at these conferences where we would have deaf section and we would have a series of men that would come in and we would interpret so the deaf people could participate fully in the conference. Well, in Atlanta one year, I was sitting there kind of meeting the deaf people that were there, checking in with all the interpreters, making sure we had our schedule. And this older, I won't call him old, elder, but this older man dressed in a suit and tie, which was not the norm at the Promise Keepers Conference, came and he just kind of stood there for a minute and he said, we have a deaf ministry at our church. And I said, well, that's great. I've actually, at the time, I pastor a deaf church not too far from here, a couple of hours away from here. He said, well, I think it's a great ministry. And we just kind of chatted and talked for a minute. And I was, you know, preoccupied. Uh, and, uh, but I invited him. I said, well, if you're familiar with this, we'd love for you to just kind of sit with us. We'd love to you, for you to uh, partake from here in this perspective with this ministry. He said, well, I can't. I've got something I need to do during the next session. As a matter of fact, here come my people now. And all of a sudden, there's kind of a little entourage of people came by, and they picked him up. It was Dr. D. James Kennedy. He is the pastor of Coleridge Presbyterian Church. He was the next speaker on the platform. I just missed it until he actually went up to the platform. Have you ever talked to someone and realized later, wait, I should have known who they were? I should have had some idea of what was taking place. We're talking today about an event in which the people of Israel, the Jews, the ones who had prophecy, the ones who had heard God's promise about the coming king, welcomed him as king which is an important thing. I think that's important that we grasp because a lot of times we get, and again, I have preached and taught this passage, that on Palm Sunday, the crowds missed it. Matter of fact, most of the time, our emphasis is upon, is upon the fickleness of the crowd because, hey, it's Sunday. It's Palm Sunday. Here comes the king. Here comes the one who has, who has performed signs and wonders, who has been affirmed by God. It's Jesus, and he's coming, and look. He's on a donkey. He's on the colt of a donkey, just like was prophesied, just like we learned growing up through all of church school, through whatever our parents told us in our culture, in our history, in our heritage. Here, this is him. And they cut palm branches, and they waved him, and they shouted, Hosanna, and they laid the branches in front of him. They took off their cloaks, and they laid him in front of him. The king is coming. The king is coming. And the king has come. But just a few days later, the crowd had largely turned their back on them, and at least large segments of the population were shouting again, but it was a completely different message. It was a shout of crucify him, crucify him, crucify him. And our focus is often upon the misunderstanding, the weakness of this crowd, but I want to look at it a little bit deeper this morning. I think there are some things that we need to grasp and we need to understand about what has taken place. The historical context in John chapter 11, we see 
Jesus coming to Mary and Martha and Lazarus has died and he's been placed in a tomb. He's been wrapped up. Jesus wept. He interacted with them. He reminds them he is the resurrection and the life. He that believes in him will never die. He brings Lazarus back to life. What an event. Can you imagine having been there? I can imagine had that happened today, it'd be all over the news. It'd be all over the Internet. It was a massive event. It was the Internet of their day. Word spread, spread like wildfire. He was the man who was dead and buried, and now he's walking around. And you can talk to him. As a matter of fact, he's walking around talking about what Jesus did. And so is Mary and Martha and all those people who were there and saw that miracle. And it was just in Bethany. It was just outside of Jerusalem. It's just a few miles away. And it's the time of the Passover. The Passover is one of those feasts that all of Israel was supposed to gather in Jerusalem. Three times during the year, there were these annual pilgrimages for all of the Jews, the faithful Jews, to come and to worship. And the Passover was the main one of these that took place an exciting time and so big crowds were there the word was spreading they knew the prophecies the king is coming well it's important to note that when they came well while Jesus he had after he had raised Lazarus from the dead the Pharisees got angry the Jewish leaders of his day because they're like hey these people are going to bring Rome's wrath down upon us They're going to destroy our nation because of this upstart, because of this revolutionary who has some claim to be the king of Israel. We we have a ruler. He's in Rome. We have Jewish leaders who want to rule. Uh, We're going to get in trouble politically. Plus, they were losing their influence with the crowd. And so we see in John chapter 11 and multiple places that they wanted to lay their hands on Jesus to arrest him. The Bible says that Jesus left Bethany. And he didn't parade himself around in front of the Jews at this point in time. He went to a little town called Ephraim, just in the edge of the wilderness. There he stayed with his disciples until it was the time for the Passover. Now, the other Gospels give us some more detailed account of what took place, how Jesus sent his disciples to get the donkey's colt, how they brought it back, how they had prepared the upper room, and all of those details. John really focuses upon the entry, and so that's really where we're focusing this morning. The next day, that large crowd had come to the feast, the celebration in Jerusalem. Again, one of those three festivals that were required in the Old Testament. Because they heard that Jesus was coming, they took branches of palm trees and they went out to meet him crying, Hosanna. Now, what is Hosanna? It is an explanation, not an explanation, it is an exclamation, how about that? An exclamation of praise, Hosanna! But it has specific meaning. It's a, it's a quote from Psalm 118. Uh, it, it is a cry out of, of, of a request, frankly, for deliverance. God save us. Please save us. Hosanna, you're our deliverer, the promised deliverer. Save us. They said, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord, even the king of Israel. They claimed that he was king. And Jesus found a young donkey, sat on it. It is as written from Zechariah 9, Fear not, daughter of Zion, behold, your king is coming, sitting on a donkey's colt. And so they're saying, this is the king. We believe it. We think this is the king. So this Christ, as we now learn in the Gospels, he arranges all this with apostles, having prepared the donkey, having prepared everything. His, what we see next is that his disciples did not understand exactly what was taking place. Verse 16, the disciples did not understand these things at first. But when Jesus was glorified, we'll get to that in a few minutes, then they remembered that these things had been written about him and had been done to him. The crowd that had been with them 
when he called Lazarus out of the tomb and raised him from the dead, continued to bear witness. They could not be quiet about what they had seen, about what they had heard. The reason why the crowd went to meet him was that they had heard he had done this sign. We're going to come back to that word right now in just a moment. And, of course, that angered the Pharisees. They said to one another, you see, you're gaining nothing. Look, we're not making any progress here. Look, this upstart, this rebel, this Jesus, this one claiming to be king, he has the whole world going after him. A bit of hyperbole there, but certainly all of their minds and all of their eyes were on Jesus. I, I want to just make one observation here at the very beginning. It's the first point on your outline. And it is simply all eyes on Jesus the King. Now, you will notice that's just a sentence fragment. That's not a complete sentence. Uh, but it's a fragment because it can be used and should be used and I believe needs to be used in multiple ways. Number one. God directed all eyes to his son. Certainly on that day, as they were coming in Jerusalem, everyone had their eyes on this one who was coming in. He didn't come in with fanfare. He didn't come in with soldiers and horses and armor. He came in on the back of a young donkey, a donkey's colt. He came in with support. He had his disciples with him. He had others with him. But the whole crowd acknowledged who he was, and nobody missed them. You remember, there was a large crowd, and all eyes were on the Christ. We see that in verse 12 and then later in verse 17 through 18. Now, one of the words I want to call your attention to is the last word in verse 18. It says, because Jesus had done this sign, the word sign we see throughout Scripture is usually combined with another word, signs and wonders. you familiar with the phrase? What are signs and wonders? They're miracles. There are things that are done supernaturally that the wonder part of that will cause you to wonder. It'll cause your jaw to drop open when you see the suspension of natural laws, when you see the sick being healed, the lame being made to walk, the deaf being made to hear, when you see Lazarus, who is dead, now being brought to light. That's a wonder. But more than a wonder, it's a wonder that is a sign, and a sign points to something. A sign points to a direction or a destination, in this case, pointing to a person. He is pointing the attention, God is pointing the attention to the Lord Jesus Christ. Or as Jesus said in another place in John, the Father is pointing people to me. God is always pointing people's attention to Jesus. Even from the garden, you guys remember the Garden of Eden? Adam and Eve in perfect relationship with him until they disobeyed him. There was what we call theologically the fall. The Bible says in Isaiah 59, our sin separated between us and our God. Their sin, God had told them, when you disobey me, when you eat of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, the one, the one thing not to do, when you do the day that you eat of it, you will surely die. And they died in their relationship with him. I'm not going to go back and exegete Genesis chapter 3, but here's what I want you to know. In Genesis chapter 3, God makes a promise then that even this fall will be undone. Even this tempter who, who, who uh, basically bit the heel, this tempter who, who uh, enticed Eve and Adam into sin, the snake, his head would be crushed by, by the heel, by the seed of woman. And throughout Scripture, we see pointing to this Messiah. We just read Zechariah. Nine in his prophecy that the king is coming, the anointed one. 
The Messiah is coming. And we see it throughout the Old Testament. We see it throughout the New Testament. We see it throughout the church history, throughout the history of the world. Even in Jesus' conversations with his disciples when he was here incarnate. You remember when they were gathered together and Jesus said, who do people say that I am? And, of course, the context was everybody's talking about you. And some people say you're a great prophet. Some people say you're a great rabbi and teacher. Some people even say you're Elijah, come back from the dead. And Jesus looks at them and says, yeah, but who do you say that I am? And they identified him as who he is, Jesus, the Son of God, the Messiah. It's important. This is the question that everything is moving toward. Everything, God himself and the Holy Spirit, pointing to Jesus as the bridge, the only connection between God and man. He does this in creation. Romans 1 talks about how creation points to our need. That everything in nature itself is pushing us to see the deficiency in humanity. The perfection in God. And the bridge, the connection between those two. Through his redemptive work in his son Jesus. God places within us a conscience. Romans chapter 2. In our own conscience, we're convicted what is right and what is wrong. The law he has written upon our hearts to recognize that we need a Savior. And he points us to Christ. Romans chapter 3. Fascinating. But here's the problem. The Bible also makes it clear in Romans chapter 3 and throughout Scripture that left our own devices, no one seeks after God. Nobody says, I'm looking for a king, the universal Savior of the world. I'm looking for the one that God has ordained or the one that God has established, the anointed one, the Messiah, innately motivated. As a matter of fact, it is genuinely true, and you'll recognize this in your own life, I'm confident. Certainly we'll recognize it in the world around us. We would rather be our own God, wouldn't we? We'd rather make our own decisions. We'd rather do what we want to do, those things that make us feel good, those things. As a matter of fact, we wish we could not only be our own God, we wish we could at least be some sort of ruler of the people around us so we could have them think like we think, do what we want them to do. We tend to place ourselves above God, no one innately. We all go our own way. That's how Scripture defines it. And so God draws people to Christ continually. And he does so through creation. He does so through conscience. He does so so through his word. In case you're wondering why I'm stumbling in my, stumbling in my speech this morning... I went speaking at a conference this weekend in Anderson, which was a great time. My mother was there, and my mother said, son, slow down. She said, it does no good for you to stand up there and speak when all we hear is, slow down and enunciate. So I am trying to improve my diction, all right? If you don't get what I say, I'd rather you not point it out. Just talk to me about it later. But, but I, I will be careful. But just like my mom points out a need, I had somehow the Holy Spirit, through God's Holy Spirit, through his word, through conviction, conscience, creation, through maybe a testimony that you heard, a sermon that you heard, a book that you read, a casual conversation, God pointed out to you a deficit in your life. He made you aware that you didn't know God. He made you aware that there was something missing in your life, that there is a need, a yearning not fulfilled in your life to this date. And through the conviction of the Holy Spirit and through illumination, maybe through a track, John Bunyan, a great 
Christian preacher and writer of a century and a half ago, uh, said he was walking down the street, heard two women talking about Jesus Christ. And when he left their presence, their conversation went with him. Just their conversation about who Jesus was, God used it to plant the seed, to, to cultivate, to draw, and to point him to Christ. I want you to understand that throughout history, there is only one way forever and through eternity, there's only one way that we can know God, that we can be right with God, that we can enjoy all that God intends for us to enjoy. Righteousness, cleansing, forgiveness, all the promises of God are wrapped up in the person of the Lord Jesus Christ. And get this, they are unreachable apart from him. So it's an important sign. It's an important sign that points to Christ. For us as a church... That's why we have conversations with families. That's why we have conversations with friends. That's why we do ministries and programs in this church. That's why we gather together and worship and sing. That's why GPS on Tuesday nights gather so that people can be pointed to the Lord Jesus Christ. That's why we have biblical counseling so that when people are struggling, we can open the Word of God and point them to the Lord Jesus Christ. That's why we have Vacation Bible School. Well, we bring a bunch of kids in. Now, we love kids. Don't misunderstand me. We love kids, but we love kids with a purpose. We love kids enough that we want them to hear the gospel and meet the person of the Lord Jesus Christ. That's why we meet here and open his word week after week. That's why we meet in home groups to get deeper into the understanding of who Jesus is and be better equipped to point to Jesus Christ. He is the Savior. Hosanna, save us. He is the light of the world. And by the way, the Bible makes it abundantly clear that we continue this work. Jesus said, I am the light of the world. And then as he was leaving, he looked at his disciples and said, you are the light of the world. And he says... That we are to go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe everything that he has commanded us. And he is with us always to the end of the age. He told us as the Holy Spirit comes upon us and comes in us at salvation, then we are to go and we are to be witnesses of his in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and the uttermost parts of the earth. And, and I'm confident that there we are always talking to people who have awareness of Jesus but have never responded to him. There have been signs that have pointed your heart to him. There have been signs that have made you aware. Yes, this is the one. He is our hope. He is the Savior. He is the Messiah. He is the way to peace. He is the way to confidence. He is the way to eternal life. It's Jesus. It's all about Jesus. He is our only hope. And you might be considering it. You might be thinking about it. You might be searching. You might be learning more about it. You might have been continually exposed to it, but you've never responded to the draw of the Holy Spirit. I would encourage you to not delay. I would encourage you to, frankly, have the attitude of the people in Jerusalem at the triumphal entry. Here's the king. Here's the king. He's worthy of our praise. He's worthy of our life. He's worthy of our celebration and respond to him in repentance and faith. But did they miss it? Did they miss the deeper meaning? You remember how we went back to Zechariah? I want to look at that passage again just really quickly. Because I will tell you, they were doing exactly what they were told to do. They were doing exactly, they were expecting exactly 
what they were told to expect. They were seeing what had been prophesied. Here's what Zechariah told them. Rejoice greatly, O daughter of Zion. Daughter of Zion, the, the ideal name for Jerusalem. Daughter of Zion, the inhabitants of Jerusalem. Shout aloud, O daughter of Jerusalem. That's exactly what they were doing. A lot of noise on that day. A lot of shouting taking place. Why? Behold, your king is coming to you. And I've got to tell you, as I'm preparing and writing notes, and all these little catchphrases come to mind, I keep thinking of J.R.R. Tolkien in Lord of the Rings. You guys, the return of the king. The coming of the king. Uh, far greater than any story developed by Tolkien, which who was a believer. And by the way, a, a fascinating connections there. But far greater than that, the real king, the eternal king is coming. The king who had been prophesied is coming. Behold, your king is coming to you. Righteous and having salvation is he. Humble and mounted on a donkey, on a colt, on the foal of a donkey. And God goes on to say, I will cut off the chariot from Ephraim and the warhorse from Jerusalem. Listen, I'll overcome your enemies from, from you. I will take care of the soldiers that would stand against you. I will make it not necessary for you to need, need to be mounted on a war horse. The battle bow shall be cut off and he shall speak peace, not just to Israel. He shall speak peace to the nations. This is for Jew and Gentile alike. He shall rule, and his rule shall be complete. It won't be partial. It'll be from sea to sea, from the river, from the Tigris, the Euphrates, to the ends of the earth. Uh, everywhere, as far as the earth is, he will rule. Enemies defeated, war ended in victory, peace to the nations, and he will rule the world. Is that sufficient? You want, yeah. You remember what the prophecy in Isaiah said. You remember the time of Isaiah when he's speaking even before the kingdoms are conquered. Uh, for unto us a child is born. You remember? Unto us a son is given. And his name shall be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. What comes next? The government shall be on his shoulders. And of his kingdom, there shall be no end. What, what did Gabriel tell Mary? D didn't he tell her that she was going to give birth to a king who would sit on the throne of David? I'm going to tell you, they didn't miss it. But there's more to it. And I want us to get the answer to this. We need to make sure we understand by the way, if you're back in, in uh, uh, Zechariah, if you just look at chapter 14, two verses. As for you also, because of the blood of my covenant with you, I will set you. Well, this is the remainder of that passage in Zechariah 9. As for you, because of the blood of my covenant with you, the blood of my covenant, important truth, I will set your prisoners free from the waterless pit. Return to your stronghold, prisoners of hope. Today I declare that I will restore to you double. We need to get firmly in our minds the same expectation that they had. The Messiah has come, and frankly, that Jesus is the answer. Now, they were looking for an answer to their taxation problems. They were looking for an answer to Roman rule. They were looking for an answer to national independence. But I want you to know that Jesus is the answer. He is the answer to their Roman rule. He is the answer to taxation issues with Rome and, of course, ours as well. He's the answer to every problem. He's the answer to the problem of evil 
and suffering in the world. He's an answer to the problem of crime. He's an answer to the geopolitical problems and nations warring against nations. He's the answer to the problem of hunger. He's the answer to the problem of starvation. He's the answer to the problem of abuse. He's the answer to the problem of illness. There is no problem that Jesus is not the answer to and that he won't make right. As I mentioned just a minute ago, if you just go a couple of chapters further in Zechariah, Zechariah 14, verse 9, it says, The Lord, this Lord, this Jesus, this Messiah will be king over all the earth. And on that day, the Lord will be one and his name one. And the whole land shall be turned into a plain, all of it, from Geba to Rimmon, south of Jerusalem. But Jerusalem shall remain aloft on his sight from the gate of Benjamin to the place of the former gate to the corner gate from the tower of Hananel, to the king's wine presses, and it shall be inhabited, for there shall never again be a decree of utter destruction. Jerusalem shall dwell in security. They were expecting exactly what was promised. His rule, the problems of the world, needs to be put to rest. Good news, right? Where's the problem with that statement? There's wars taking place right now. There are illnesses and injuries taking place right now. There are crimes being committed right now, which we saw so tragically, so recently. There are abuses that are happening right now. There are political issues, and I don't even want to get my mind heading in that direction right now. This will turn into a radically different sermon. But the reality is we don't live in the kingdom where Jesus has established on this world. Not yet. They had expectations, but they weren't the only ones. You remember John the Baptist? The one who came out of the wilderness saying, repent for the Lord is at hand. Jesus walked by and he said, behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. The one whose sandals I'm not worthy to unlace. Just a few months later, when he was imprisoned by Antipas, he was waiting on the promise that we just read to be fulfilled. And he sent people to Jesus. And you know what he had them ask? Are you the one? Or should we be expecting another? You see, they don't get what so often we don't get. We're not more spiritual than he was. He knew the scriptures. He knew the promises One day, according to the promise of the scripture, the Messiah, the king who has come, will affect the earth so much that when there's a press release from the White House, it won't be one affirming sinful lifestyles and defending those who deny and corrupt God's ordained order. Rather, it will be with quotations of scripture. It will be following the word and the principles and the truth and the righteousness of God. It'll be about how we're responding to the virtue of Christ and how the importance of adhering to the principles of God's truth is all going to be a part of how our leaders speak, how our government speaks, how our society is. That's the transformation that Christ came to bring. And he says he's going to bring it. The problem is it wasn't happening and John the Baptist saying what's going on people today saying it's not happening so what's going on and let me just thumbnail this for us really quick the promises and the prophecies of God 
are unveiling across a span of time, almost in phases. Uh, one theologian says it's like you hear the promise and you look at a cross and there's a mountaintop and then a valley of time and then the next mountaintop and then a valley of time. God's promises are all fulfilled and they are fulfilled progressively. So what is going on? Is he the answer to every problem? Absolutely. Has he solved every current problem? No. So what's going on? First truth, the king has come. What did he do in his first coming? He lived without sin. He went to the cross to be sin, that God might make us the righteousness of God in him. He stood in our place, taking the wrath of God against sin in his death, then conquered death and lives again. He made a way to bridge the gap between sinful men and holy God. He brought, according to Romans 5, peace with God. He justifies the guilty and makes us innocent. Isn't that amazing? He forgives us and washes us and makes all things new. He is living and he does reign in the hearts of his people today. And he is sufficient for every need and every circumstance. The king has come and you can know him. But also, the king is coming. Now, this ought, to, this ought to get you in a shouting mood. The king is coming. One day, the trump will sound. And at his second coming, he will begin to reign. Then everything will be established. Or even Zechariah 14, later verses, I won't take you there now. But where even the pots in everyone's cupboards the bells on de that decorate everyone's horse, every aspect of, of life will be set apart to be in line with the truth of the holiness and the greatness of God. That's coming. <laughs> Revelation 11 describes it like this. In that day, the Lord establishes his reign and the kingdoms of this world become the kingdom of our God. And it's not come yet. We're between. He has come and he is coming. And let me see if I can illustrate this. Many of you know we were gone last week. Suzanne and I took the grandkids to see the Ark Encounter in Kentucky. And then we drove on up to Michigan to spend a couple of days with Brandon and Chrissy and, and the grandkids. The four, those four grandkids. She's smiling because she knows I'm not going to try to name them off in order right now. I know them and I love them, okay? Just, uh, but but we, we got to spend some time with the grandkids. And I want to tell you, it was great. Somebody said, did you have a good time? Was it a nice change of pace? Well, we can tell you, it was definitely a change of pace. It, it, didn't, <laughs> it didn't slow down. It picked up. But it was great. It was a wonderful time. But I think I speak for Suzanne. I know I speak for myself. When it was time for us to come home, we were ready. We were looking forward to the trip home. And so we were anticipating the trip home, and I had talked to Suzanne about this and talked to Brandon and Pris about this a little bit, and I looked at Suzanne and said, let's don't go straight home. I don't know when we'll get to this part of the world again. Let's take the scenic route home. And we did. We added hours to our trip. Now, it was great. We went through Charleston, West Virginia. We got on Highway 23 and Highway 61. We did four-lane roads and two-lane roads. We went through mountains. We went through flat valleys. It was a great ride. And some of it was just really enjoyable and peaceful. It was just a tremendous ride. And some of it wasn't. Matter of fact, when we first started out, it was snowing in Michigan. And I mean really snowing. 
it, it, was, it, was, it was pretty exciting there for a couple hours. Uh, many of you know I don't care for snow. I, I really don't care for driving in snow. And yet, we made it through the tough time. We got to some better times. And then there were challenges. And, you know, we would stop and we would eat. And, and you know, it, it was a good trip. But it wasn't home. Now, had we gone the way that we normally come, we'd have probably got home, if I remember correctly, around 7, 8 o'clock at night. We got home at 12.30 in the morning. And we were tired. And it had been a long trip. And we had just stopped at fast food places on the way home. The eating wasn't good. It was hard to rest. But, buddy, when we pulled up into the driveway and opened the door and went in the house, we were home. We had made it. And it was restful. We got a good night's sleep. Just to kind of illustrate, we began the journey here. The king has come. He has given his life within us. He is with us. He's promised to be with us continually forever. He is sufficient for every need in every circumstance. And we're heading home. As a matter of fact, the good news is home's heading to us. One day he's going to come and he's going to establish his kingdom here. And in the meantime, it's a journey. And there are times when we're going to experience some joy and some wonderful experiences. And there are times when it's going to be hard and confusing and we won't be able to understand all there is to know. But the journey culminates at journey's end when the king comes finally to establish his kingdom. So how long is this journey going to be until everybody gets on board? 1 Peter chapter 3 says, the king, the Lord, is delaying his coming because when he comes, he's going to come both with judgment and reward. And he wants those who are rewarded to be more. He wants those who are going to face judgment to be fewer. Does that make sense? He wants us to know him. Well, I need to finish this sermon. So, <laughs> so let me get to the third point. First of all, all eyes on Christ. I hope you know him. Second of all, he is the answer. He's the answer now and sufficient for every need now. The king has come, but he is coming as well to establish his kingdom. What a great day. So what do we do? I'll come back to verse 16. Pretty interesting to me. In verse 16, his disciples didn't understand these things at first. And we look at them, we're critical of them. How could you not see <laughs> when we're so blind ourselves? His disciples didn't understand these things at first, but when Jesus was glorified, then they remembered that these things had been written about him and had been done to him. Even, listen, just even in the construction of that language, these things, these things, these things. We've got three phrases that start with the, the, the verbiage, the terminology in Greek. These things, these things, these things. When Jesus was glorified... These things they remembered, these things that were written about him, these things that had been done to them. And I want you to think about that. They went through these things and they didn't get it, much like me standing there next to Dr. Kennedy not having a clue who he was. 
And then they would come back and they would reflect upon Scripture and then they would see that these things were written about in Scripture. They were given sense in Scripture. They understood that there was a fulfillment, but there was further fulfillment to anticipate. They understood what happened and this is what happened. When it happened, I don't get it. As they reflected upon Scripture, as they studied, as they listened to the Word of God, they began to understand, they began to embrace, and God used them mightily. We need to increasingly sit at Jesus' feet listening to what he says. We need to increasingly be exposed to the truth of God's word. We need to be increasingly studying the Lord Jesus Christ. And the way that we do that is by studying the word of God, his revelation of himself. We need to be lifelong students of Christ. It's important that we spend time in his word. And I I wanted to go back to Mary and Martha. I won't now for the... For just in the interest of time. But can I, can I tell you something that, that will be helpful for you? I hope it's as helpful to you as it, as it is for me. You can know more tomorrow than you know today. You can know more tomorrow than you know today. You can know Jesus better tomorrow than you know him today. You can experience more of his power in your life tomorrow than you do today. You can, you can deepen your walk and your intimacy and your relationship with the Lord Jesus Christ. I frequently talk to believers who say, I wish I knew more. I feel like I'm behind. I feel like I'm wet behind the ears. I've been a believer for months or a believer for years or even a believer for decades, and I want to know more. Here's the encouragement. You can. He wants you to know him better. He wants you to know him more. But it takes reflection It takes feasting on the Word of God. It takes meditating on the truth revealed, not just to acquire knowledge, but to walk in obedience and to experience His life in yours. They had to take in what happened to Jesus riding in on a donkey and presenting Himself as King. And they started to figure out the distance between the suffering servant in His first coming and the reigning King in His second coming. Was he king? Yes. Is he king? Yes. Will he be forever king? Yes. It's not done yet. There's more to come. Good news. There's more to come. The more you sit at his feet, the more you love him. The more you learn of him, the more he grabs your attention. And, and I'll just end with this. The more you point others to him. Remember the first point? All eyes on Jesus. You got friends and neighbors. You got sons and daughters or parents. You got nieces and nephews and brothers and sisters. You got coworkers on the job. You got people that you see regularly at the grocery store or the quick stop or wherever you go regularly that need to see Jesus. We got people downtown who come and visit and people all around us who live right here who need to see Jesus. And we have the privilege of being what Jesus called salt and light. Those who are continually pointing people to Jesus. So I would encourage you, at every opportunity, exalt the Lord Jesus Christ. Why did the crowd come to see Jesus? Why did they greet him? Because everybody was talking about him. Everybody was talking about him. And he should be that which we speak of with passion and fervor, often 
and with clarity. Isn't that great? Father, thank you. Thank you that the king has come. Thank you that you've made a way for us to have peace with you, to know you, to rest in you, to be yours, to know what it means to be forgiven of sin and cleansed and washed. And if there is one or more here in this place who has had their attention turned to you, but they've never come to you in repentance and faith and bowed their knee and acknowledged you as king, I pray that you will, you will draw them, you will convict them, that you will grant them repentance so that they will come in repentance and faith. Father, for the rest of us, help us to not only keep our eyes on what you have accomplished, but what's coming. Help us to recognize this as a journey. Help us to recognize that this journey has a purpose and you are sufficient for us as we're on this journey. But there is a better day coming, a day when you come and establish your kingdom and reign. I pray, Father, we will embrace that, anticipate it. And being aware of it, we will invite others to join us as we point people to the Lord Jesus Christ. In your name I pray. Amen.